Mark chapter 10 and verses 17 through 22. Leading up to Mark chapter 10, the Bible tells us of the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that he was transfigured right before the eyes of some of the apostles. Um, he had done, done some of these miracles, cast out a, a dumb spirit. He foretold of his own death. Um, he taught on some uh, on avoiding offenses. He talked about being the salt, uh, salt of the earth. Here, if the salt has lost its saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace with one another. And so we talked about that. And then getting into verse uh, chapter ten, rather, uh, he uh, they bring him a question about divorce. He teaches them uh, about divorce, and then. Uh, the danger of riches, and so forth. But that brings us to our, our scripture in Mark chapter 10 and verse number 17, where the Bible says, and when he was gone forth into the way, he's, he's just going about his ministry. And when gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. <clears throat> Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. And then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you take these simple words today and transform them into something that will change us, make us more of what you want us to be. Heavenly Father, I pray that you... Help me, Lord, to clear my mind. I pray that you'd govern my thoughts, that you'd guard my words. Lord, I pray that we'd leave here today having been encouraged in some way to live more soberly, more righteously, more godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. He was sad and went away grieved. He was sad and went away grieved. Did you see that? Verse number 20, or I'm sorry, verse number 22. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. How could that be? This young man had just had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. This young man, he had his whole life ahead of him, and he has a personal face-to-face, one-on-one appointment with the creator of the universe, the God of heaven. And he was sad and went away grieved. That doesn't sound right, does it? That doesn't sound like the type of response. Uh, I, I 
tried to put myself in that young man's shoes, and I, I thought if I had a, an encounter, a one-on-one -on -one encounter with Christ, how could I walk away sad, grieved? Think about it. This young man had everything going for him. And sometimes we read through things, well, let's slow our thoughts down just a little bit. Think about it. He was rich. Now, who in this world wouldn't like to be rich? He was rich. I mean, he didn't have a, 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 a things on his mind about how he was going to pay the bills. He, uh, he was pretty well set. If the Bible says he was rich, if God said he's rich, then he must have been rich by world standards. He was rich. He was young. Amen? How many of us would, would not like to get some of those years back uh, of our youth and the strength that we had in our youth? He was rich. He was young. He had his whole life ahead of him. The, the world was his oyster. You know, he had the moon on a string. He had a whole world. He was rich. He was young. But it's interesting the Bible mentions this as well. He was a ruler. Now, that's not often what we equate with leadership as somebody who's young. Matter of fact, when somebody is young in a position of leadership, we take note of that. He was rich, he was young, and he was in a place of leadership. Everything about this young man commends himself to us. All three of the synoptic gospels record this, this event, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And all three synoptic gospels tell the same story. He was rich, he was young, and he was chosen in his youth as a ruler of the community in which he lived. He had everything going for him. I think that this young man would have made a remarkable impression on any generation that he would have been born into. People would have looked at him and, and said the same thing that the writer, uh, that the uh, people who were used of God to pen God's word wrote. He was young, he was rich, and he was a ruler. I think everybody would acknowledge that in any generation. He was exceptional, just an exceptional young man. This young man, uh, uh, as, we, as we think about it, he comes and he stands before Christ. Let's paint the picture in our mind. This rich, young uh, man that was chosen for leadership, is standing before Christ and, and the Lord's gesturing with his hand pointing to the, to the young man's need. And there's this young fellow standing there before Christ and he's got a war going on in his heart. After Jesus said, yet one thing thou lackest. Just one thing. And he's standing there and he's, he's warring in his mind and in his heart. You can almost see it on the countenance of his face that there's a battle going on inside. Which way is he going to go? Which choice is he going to make? Which world is he going to choose? I think another thing that we can notice about this young man is his amazing moral courage. He had an amazing moral courage when the Lord was making this last journey to Jerusalem, this young man came to him in broad daylight where everybody could see him. He kneels down in front of Jesus and acknowledge him, acknowledges him as a teacher come from God. Th those are dangerous words. At this time, Christ is making his final trip to Jerusalem. The Pharisees hate him. They hate anybody connected with him. And yet he comes in broad daylight and he kneels down, shows obedience to, uh, to the God of heaven, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he acknowledges him as a teacher come from God. He calls him good master. That's a lot of moral courage. 
He's rich, he's young, and he's in a place of leadership. Think about that. Sometimes our leaders want to be careful about what they say about their faith because uh, they're afraid it's going to affect their ability uh, to influence the people that they lead. They don't want to pray in Jesus' name and so forth. They want to do things in a non-sectarian fashion so as not to label themselves or stand out. And so they kind of blend in with, with everything else. You know, that's part of the problem what's going on in our nation today. Somebody needs to stand up, stand up for Jesus. You know? So think about the amazing moral courage that it took for this rich young ruler to come into Jesus in broad daylight, kneel down before him, and, and acknowledge him as, as something special come from God, if not stronger than that in the language which we translate this from, it, it, that when he said, good master, that was a, an acknowledgement of divinity in the language from which this was translated. Now, there's another person that came, that was a ruler and came to Jesus, but how did he come to him? He came to him at night. Remember John chapter 3? You see, Nicodemus didn't have that same moral courage to approach Christ. He was a ruler. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, no less a rich and gifted man, but he did not have the courage to speak to Jesus face to face in broad daylight. This young fellow where everybody could see, everybody could watch, everybody could observe, came to the Lord and knelt down before him and acknowledged him for who he was. An amazing moral courage. But another thing I noticed about this young man is his respectability, his morality, his purity. He was a respectable, moral, pure young man. When our Lord went through the commandments in verse 19, let's read there. Thou knowest the commandments. He's addressing this young man. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not, uh, do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And so as Jesus goes through these commandments, the young fellow said to him in verse number 20, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. And Jesus didn't object. It's not even noted here that, that uh, Christ balked at that saying. And so we're left with the impression for all intents and purposes that this young man was respectable, moral, and pure. Even Jesus, I don't think, could help but admire and love that clean-cut, young, rich, young ruler. Think about it. Put, I hope this is painting a picture in your mind. The Bible says in verse 21, the first part of the verse, it says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Boy, he saw the sincerity. He saw the potential in this young man. He saw what could be. All of his life, he, he knew that this young man had walked in the way of the commandments of the Lord. We don't know his background. We don't know who his parents were. But whatever it was, this young man was able to stand before the creator of the universe and say, Master, I've kept all those commandments. I've done it all. But the Lord had one last thing to say to him. Look at the second part of verse number 21. One thing thou lackest, Jesus said. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. You know, the young man had kept all of the commandments, and Jesus referenced the only one that he had not kept. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
That's the first commandment. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3. It seems so penetrating, doesn't it? What the Lord said to him. Here's this young man. I mean, full of life and, and good looking, I'm sure. Clean cut. Rich, young, chosen for a place of leadership in his community, upstanding. I mean, just not a better example of a young person in that culture. And he comes before Christ, and Christ says, you know the commandments. And he was able to tell the Lord, Lord, I've kept them. I've done that all my life. I've, I've not lied. I've not stolen. I've honored my father and my mother. And it seems so penetrating that the Lord would find the one thing that was wrong. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The one thing. Lord, why can't you look at the good stuff? Why do you just sit around all day looking for the wrong in things? One thing thou lackest, Jesus said. Folks, look, I don't believe that there's a church in the world, but if that young man came, walked down the aisle, gave his hand to the pastor, and said, I want to I want to I join this church. I don't think there's a church in this world that would have turned him down. Every church would have accepted him. They would have seen him say, he's rich, he's young, he's a ruler. What a fine young man. There's not a, a church in this world that would have turned down his membership. Anybody would have loved to accept him in any organization, especially in the moral atmosphere and life of the church. But the Lord looking at him said, young man, there's one problem, one thing that you lack. And that one thing is like the sun lacking light. It's like a fire lacking heat. It's like a songbird that lacks a song. You see, that young fellow loved the world and the things of the world. When the Lord asked him to give it up and follow him, it started a war in his soul. And so now he's standing before God. And there's this conflict going on in his, in his soul. Which way is he going to choose? Which, which world is he going to follow after? We find out in Mark 10, 22, where the Bible says he was sad at that saying. He went away grieved, for he had great possessions. God's word says that we cannot love the things of the world and the things of God at the same time. Did you know that? They are exclusive of one another. Folks, I don't want to give the impression this morning that it's a one-time decision to love the things of God. It's a daily, moment-by-moment decision to love the things of God. God's Word says that the, His things and the things of this world are mutually excuse, exclusive. This young man had the world in his heart, and in the end, that left him without Christ. I think, this is my personal opinion, can't back this up with scripture. I can back it up with experience in my own life, but I can't back it up with scripture. I think had that young man done what Jesus said, the Lord would have returned everything he gave up. Only it would have been better. It, it would have, he would have had a right perspective on it. It would have been purified. It would have been sanctified. It would have been hallowed, you see. I believe that had he said, okay, Lord, I'll do it and I'll follow you. I believe the Lord would have given him everything back and better. Better. There's not anything in the Bible against wealth, um, affluence, riches, and success. Think about some of the noblest characters in the Bible. Joseph of Arimathea, whose tomb was lent 
of the Lord Jesus. Nicodemus, who was the secret believer at first, but ultimately became an open follower of Christ. We find him as one of the people taking Christ down from the cross. Zacchaeus was uh, probably one of the richest men in all that part of Israel, and the Lord blessed him when he gave his fortune and his soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. Saul of Tarsus, we, I think, overlook this fact sometimes, who became Paul the Apostle. He's born a Roman citizen. He was a devout and educated Pharisaical Jew. That guy had connections. You talk about affluent. He had connections. So the Bible does not teach... Uh, Things against wealth, affluence, riches, and successors. Not anything that I've been able to find in the Bible against those. Only that it cannot share space with God. Popularity, for example, cannot share space with God. Success, honor, advancement, achievement, or money cannot share space with God. So the, the war in the rich young ruler's soul registers in his countenance. And the Bible say that he was sad and went away grieved. And I think it's interesting, the Bible didn't say... He went away bitter and angry. It just says that he went away grieved. We have a swing here from this moral courage where he's not afraid to approach God, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the daylight, kneel down and acknowledge him like he did, and to be able to stand before God and say, I've kept all those commandments. We have this swing from moral courage to a dismissal of the master's command. What a contrast. In just a short a little time, he went from this strong moral courage to rejecting the master's command. What that shows us is that he was more willing in his heart to accept than he was to obey and do. So he went away grieved. Well, he had the intention, didn't he? Why else would he approach the Lord Jesus Christ? He intended to do whatever the Lord, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He didn't ask him that question to trick the Lord Jesus like the Pharisees had just tried to trick him concerning the issue of divorce. He, he was coming in all sincerity and, and, and genuine spirit and with the right intentions in his heart. And, and, and he came to the Lord. He said, Lord, what do I need to do to inherit? You know the commandments. Yet thou lackest one thing. Boy's intentions were good, weren't they? He had a lot more willingness in his heart than he was willing to do. He was willing to do. You know what he did? He chose the wrong world. He chose the wrong world. If nothing changed for that young fella, eternity's judgment followed his decision. When Someday the believer reaches heaven. We will never see that young man's face. If something didn't change before he passed from time into eternity, when we stand in heaven, we'll never see that young man's face. When we get to mingle on the streets of gold, we'll never meet him. When the roll is called up yonder, there'll be nobody to answer his name. When the pages are turned in the book of life, his name's not going to be listed. He chose the wrong world. We need to remember that when we make our choices, we lose our ability to choose, and the consequences are inevitable and calculable and entirely up to God. Think of the infinite, immutable, immeasurable opportunity that that young man passed by.
That young man may have been an another, another Apostle Paul. Could have. He could have been another John the Beloved. He would have or could have been one of the finest, noblest, most gifted people of the Christian faith that this world has ever known. But as it is, his name is lost. And it's not even mentioned in this account. All we know him as is the rich, young ruler. And his name goes off into oblivion. A great, unlimited, immeasurable opportunity that he had, and he chose the wrong world. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, listen. He chose the wrong world. More sadly, there is not an incident in life that is more commonly repeated than we find in this, where people choose the wrong world. And again, folks, I want you to understand, this is not a decision we make one time. We don't just say, I have decided to follow Jesus one time. It's a, it's a daily, moment-by-moment moment thing. And everything we face up against, we, we, need to, we need to ask ourselves, am I choosing the right world here? Am I going to choose the right world, or am I going to submit to my pride? Am I going to choose the right world, or am I going to submit to this anger that's boiling up inside of me? Am I going to choose the right world or am I going to choose this world and the things I can have now? Choosing the wrong world. In the freedom granted to us by God through individual soul liberty, we're free to choose which way we shall turn and which direction we shall go. That's called choice. And each one of us has the privilege of choosing, but we must remember that along with that privilege comes responsibility. For example, uh, this is a harsh example, but I want to really make this point. A lost person can choose to reject Christ and condemn their own soul to hell. It's hard, isn't it? We all have a choice. God help us not to choose the wrong world. There's a poem... Uh, I don't know if it's a poem or if it's a short story or whatever it is, called The Tragedy by Dr. Bill Rice. And it illustrates this point very well. Choosing the wrong world. I remember the day she said with smiling confidence, one thing I am sure of, I will never have a drinking problem. I always drink responsibly. Then it began. A long, desolate walk through a suffocating tunnel with nothing but despair hugging her anguished heart. She did everything she could to disguise the problem. She denied it. She pretended to laugh it off. At times, she blamed herself. In moments of utter darkness, she blamed God. One day, her distraught daughter said, Mother, you're embarrassing us. Where is your willpower? Why don't you stop? A week later, her angry husband said, I thought you had willpower. Why don't you just stop? She listened. She considered. Then, in a very dramatic way, she accepted the challenge. She stopped. I've never seen so many flowers at a funeral service in my life. Oh, dear God, how tragic, how utterly tragic to think that willpower is enough. Why didn't someone, somewhere, somehow direct her to God? There's only one power able to deliver us from choosing the wrong world. 
The pastor of the church at Jerusalem, James, the Lord's half-brother, wrote in James 4.4 that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. James' cousin, the sainted and beloved apostle John, wrote in 1 John 2.15-17, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He that, listen, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know that that phrase is engraved on the tomb of D.L. Moody. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. D.L. Moody was won to the Lord by a Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. As a youth, Moody began to gather boys and girls and he'd bring them to, to uh, his Sunday school class. Do you know that D.L. Moody was never ordained? D.L. Moody was never ordained. He was never officially a preacher. D.L. Moody he was never officially a preacher. He was Mr. Moody all the days of his life. And beginning with his Sunday school class, he taught the Word of God. He'd gathered the youngsters in Chicago until he had filled up a large church with them. And then he would go out and he'd get their fathers and their mothers. He filled up a large church in Chicago with children and their parents. If you know anything about the life of D.L. Moody... He took America in one hand and Europe in the other and brought both of them closer to God. Great D.L. Moody. Mr. Moody chose the right world. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There's not one person in the divine presence of God right now that does not understand the war going on between soul and spirit in their heart. Right now in every moment of life, there's two worlds. One of them leads to despair and darkness and the other can lead to such glory and light. And still we think that we can choose a different world than, than this young man and that we're not going to be sad. We're going to be the happy one. We're not going to go away grieved. We're going to go, make it work. It's going to work for us. It's an agonizing decision. Which world will I choose? How many sorrows would we pass by if we just surrendered to the Lord's way? May God stand by us as we make the right decision, choosing the right world. When I was 16 years old, I chose the wrong world. I thought it was going to work. I knew this story. I thought I was going to be the exception. I can stand up here and pound on this pulpit and turn red in the face and try to tell you it doesn't work, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's such a sad thing that this story is repeated over and over again through the lives of young people. And this is not just a young person's message. I've watched a lot of seasoned citizens choose the wrong world. Watched them do it over and over again. Seasoned citizens, people that ought to know better, grew up in church, served in churches faithfully all their lives, and they get to retirement age and they choose the wrong world. Well, their, their intentions weren't to do that. They go off and they do other things. Choose the wrong world. This isn't just a message for the young. 
went away sad and grieved. Would you stand with me and turn to song number 470? 470. I don't want to oversimplify things this morning because I think it's important for us to make, make a decision. And you may be here today and time and time again in your life or, or maybe even just recently you may, have, you may have made that decision. I'm going to follow Jesus. Folks, I was talking to my Sunday school class this morning. So often we get this idea that deciding to follow Jesus is something we do one time. Even the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. You know what he's, he's communicating through that is, look, every day I have to decide to follow Jesus. Every decision that I'm faced with, I have to choose which world I'm going to follow. Am I going to choose anger? Or am I going to choose peace? Am I going to choose despair? Am I going to choose the grace of God to help me through this situation? Am I going to choose to pity myself and pity my situation? Or am I going to choose to fight from victory? The Lord Jesus Christ. As this invitation is given, as we sing this song... Whatever has taken place in your life previous to this, I praise the Lord for it. And well, don't discount any decisions that some young person made when this song was sung at, at a youth rally, or maybe you made some decision uh, when this song has been sung, or another song has been sung, and you made some decision to commit yourself afresh and anew to God. There's nothing wrong with doing that again today. How will you walk away from this place today? That young man encountered Christ and he was sad and went away grieved. And, and the Bible tells us that when two or three are gathered together, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's there in the midst. And so every time the body of believer gathers, be, believers gather together uh, around the preaching of the word of God, Christ is in the midst. We have an encounter with Christ. That's why I'm so uh, adamant in saying that Every time we come together as a body of believers for the preaching, God's speaking to our hearts. What is he saying? It's an encounter that God has with us. How are we going to leave this place today? I think it's always a sad conclusion when a person chooses to depart from the presence of Christ in unbelief or disobedience. Will we not give him our lives afresh and anew? What world will you choose Number 470, as we sing, the invitation is given. You come as the Lord leads you.